Amen. Amazing grace indeed. I, I, I hope uh, this morning as we open up the Word of God together that you see from uh, Acts chapter 15 where we're going to be, I hope that you can see just how amazing the grace of God is, just how incredible uh, the grace that has been poured out for every single one of us, the, the grace that covers over every single one of us by faith in Jesus, just how amazing it is so that as we sing Amazing Grace, you can proclaim uh, joyfully and excitedly that, yes, I understand how amazing the grace of God is. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15 this morning. Uh, it's page, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in front of you. It's on page 869 of our Bibles here in the, uh, in the building. Acts chapter 15, we're continuing along our To the Nation series as we're finishing up the book of Acts, going through this, this last half of the book of Acts and, and uh, seeing what, God, what God's word says to us about what happens when the Holy Spirit launches his church out into the nation, out into the nations. Uh, Acts chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning, beginning in verse 1. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, con the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Let me pray for us this morning. We'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word challenges us and, and your word proclaims the glorious good news of the gospel to us. That it's by your word that we know that there is grace available for us. That it's by your word that we know that there is life available in Jesus for us, Father. I pray this morning that none of us would take that for granted. But this morning, God, that you would bring to our mind the glorious good news of the gospel. And God, you would use your word to shape us and mold us in your image. Father, we love you and praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, have you ever not been on the same page with somebody? Never. Never. <laughs> John has always been on the same page with everybody he's ever interacted with. Uh, most of us, other than John, have, have, have had moments in life where we haven't been on the same page as somebody, right? So a few years ago, uh, Conor McGregor decided that he was going to step out of the octagon and he was going to fight Floyd Mayweather in the boxing ring. Now, if you are uh, into fighting or if you know sports at all, and uh, this was a big deal at the time, right? You have one of the, the best UFC fighters, uh, MMA fighters at, in his prime at the top of his game, going and agreeing to fight one of the best boxers of all time, 49-0, never lost, in his arena, in the boxing ring, right? And so uh, this was a big deal. This was, kinda, this was billed as, as one of the, the most incredible fights of the century, right? Uh, it's a little too early to say it's the fight of the century, but it's one of the top ones. And so uh, this was, this was must-see TV, uh, and my roommates and I really wanted to watch the fight. Right, we were really excited about it. We really wanted to watch it, but unfortunately, it was pay-per-view. You had to you had to buy it uh, in, in order to watch it, and, and it wasn't cheap. It was like a hundred bucks in order to 
to watch this fight. And so my roommates and I, we went down uh, to the local store and we got cable. We didn't even have cable in our apartment at this time, uh, but we decided it was worth it to get cable just to watch this fight. So we went down and we got cable. And while we were getting cable, we told the cable guy, hey, uh, we want to be able to watch uh, the fight. And so they, they set us up with the, with the fight. But in order to do that, we'd have one of our roommates sign the paperwork and pay for it all of that up front. And so one of our roommates volunteered. He had the funds available. And so, so he signed off on it. He paid it. And this roommate that decided uh, to, to, to put the money up front, he is a bit of an entrepreneur, right? So it, it very much like the, the kid who gets a pack of gum and then sells it for 25 each piece for 25 cents on the, uh, uh, you know, on the playground and makes a profit. Like, that's this guy. He's very much an entrepreneur. And so he had this great idea. He said, I'm going to invite some friends over and we're going to watch the fight together. And I'm going to ask them to Venmo me $10 just to help cover the cost of the fight. And if we get enough people, we can watch the fight for free. That was the, that was the, the general thought. I don't know where the miscommunication happened. I don't know if it was between the roommates. I don't know if it was between him and the guests. But we roommates were not on the same page with each other. And, and the guests were not on the same page with us as roommates. It was about 30 minutes before the fight. We had some, uh, some taco meat cooking on the stove. We were going to dump it into some queso that was in a crock pot. We were going to have these great nachos. And uh, someone knocks on the door. We open it up. It's one of my roommate's friends. We let them in. We're all talking, about to watch the fight. Another knock on the door. We open it up. A couple more of my roommate's friends. They come in. And then another knock. And then another knock. And then another knock. And finally, we have over two dozen people in my apartment coming to watch this fight. And what's worse is it's like, it's like one of those uh, teen sitcoms where the, the parents are away and so they throw this house party and it gets wildly out of control really fast. But that's kind of what happened with us because two dozen people just start showing up in our house to watch this fight. And they come in and they start, they start going crazy. They start being obnoxious. They start bringing drinks in. And they eat all of the queso in seven minutes. I didn't get any of it, which is the largest, like the greatest tragedy of this entire story. Uh, and they watch the fight going crazy. Finally, the fight's over. We have to kick everybody out of our house. And uh, on top of that, not one person paid my roommate to watch the fight. Not one person sent him money. I don't know where the miscommunication was, if it was just between us roommates, if it was between the guests and us roommates. But somewhere in there, we were not on the same page. And what resulted, because we were not on the same page, because we didn't share expectations, we didn't share an idea of what it looked like to, uh, to be at our house that night, um, because we weren't on the same page, it led to confusion, led to chaos, uh, it led to um, all of these problems. What we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 15 is that the early church was going through a similar bout of miscommunication. That the early church at this point had been around for a few years, and they were not on the same page about what it means to be a Christian. They were not quite on the same page about what it means to be saved. Before we can get to that, we have to pick up where we left off last week in the middle of chapter 14. So what we've, what we've seen so far uh, in the last couple weeks is that Paul and Barnabas have been traveling around and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, have been, they have left Antioch, and they've gone around to all of these, these cities filled with Gentiles, these non-Jews, and they were sharing the gospel with them and seeing them come to know Jesus. So, so we see in, uh, in verse 20, 
and that they were in Lystra, they go and then they leave and they go to the city of Derby and they proclaim the gospel. Verse 21 is that they leave Derby, they go back to Lystra, and then they go back to Iconium, they go back to Antioch in Pisidia and proclaim the gospel. Verse 24, when they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalaya. And from there, they sailed to Antioch. And so it's city after city after city after city. Paul and Barnabas are going out, and they're proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles who've never had the, heard the gospel before. They're going out and proclaiming salvation to people who have never been the people of God before. Uh, you see them going out. All of these cities uh, are in the, what is now Turkey, and they're going out through what's now Turkey, proclaiming the gospel to people who've never heard it before, who've never been part of the people of God, and people are getting saved. Like, amazing things are happening. Look with me in verse 20. When the disciples gathered about Paul, he rose up, he entered the city of Lystra, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So people are getting saved. Gentiles are placing their faith in Jesus, and the grace of God was going forth in Gentile churches. It's this beautiful, incredible time. And, and not everything is going smoothly. Right? Some of the ministry is difficult. Paul's facing persecution. You can see that in verse 19. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. These, this was a group of Jewish leaders that were causing a lot of trouble for Paul and Barnabas throughout their ministry. They came from Antioch and Iconium to Lystra, where they were at the time. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So these Jews, these Jewish leaders, they came down to Lystra, they got the crowd riled up, and they hurled stones at Paul until they thought he was dead, and they dragged what they thought was his lifeless body out of the city and, and left him there uh, and walked away. And so one of my favorite moments in the New Testament in verse 20 is when the disciples gathered around him, like, here's Paul, the city of Lystra thinks he's dead, and the disciples all gather around him. They're probably heartbroken, like, we just lost... Uh, the Apostle Paul, they gather around them, and Paul gets up and then goes right back into the city. You know, like he's like, all right, no, I'm okay, I'm going to walk it off, and just right back to preaching the gospel into the city that just hurled stones at him until they thought he was going to be dead. So they, they faced persecution. Things weren't going smoothly, but they were faithful to go and to proclaim the gospel to Gentiles all throughout what is now Turkey. And the grace of God was going forth. I mean, just look at the report. As I already read verse, uh, verse 21, when they preached the gospel to the city, this is Derby. when they preached the gospel to that city and they made many disciples, then verse 22 was they kind of went back to other cities. They strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them, in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 20, uh, 26. As they left Ataliah, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled, the work of going and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remain no little time with the disciples. So, so Paul and Barnabas are faithful to go preach the gospel to Gentiles for people who weren't the people of God and the grace of God was going forth. That sounds like an amazing thing. 
That sounds like something the entire church of God should have been celebrating, that as news of this event spread throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all of the churches that had been planted up to this point, as this, is, as this news spreads, this should be great, glorious news that the gospel was going forth, that the grace of God was descending on the Gentiles. But there's a group, there's a group that wasn't very happy. There's a group that had a, a little bit of a problem with this. You see, at this time, there were Gentile Christians and there were Jewish Christians. There were Christians who had, uh, who had never had the Old Testament law, who had never followed the Old Testament law, but were now saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And there were Jewish Christians who had kept the Old Testament law, who believed that they were the people of God because of all of the, all of the things that they followed, all, the, all of the things that they were supposed to do. And they weren't on the same page about what it means to be a Christian. And you see that in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they're celebrating all that God is doing among the Gentiles in Antioch. And a group of Jewish Christians come up to Antioch and they tell the church, it's great that you believe these things about Jesus. It's great that, that all these things are happening to you. But in order to actually be saved, you, know, you now have to look Jewish. You now have to be circumcised like Jews. You now have to follow the Old Testament law in order to actually be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas get up and they're debating and they're arguing with them and, and, and they're going back and forth. One side's making good points, the other side's making good points. And they finally decide we need to go to Jerusalem and we need to bring this before what's left of the 12 apostles. The ones who are in Jerusalem, who are, who, who are leading the church from the very beginning, who are, who are kind of the go-to people for doctrinal questions. We need to go to Jerusalem. We need to talk to the people, who, the, those who are left of the 12 apostles. So verse 3. Being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they described all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Again, there's just a mis uh, uh, they're not on the same page. They're disagreeing about what it means to be a Christian. And this is a pivotal moment for the church. Because this is the moment that decides, do you need to be Jewish to be a Christian? Do you need to follow all of the Old Testament law to be saved? Do you need to adopt Jewish practices? Do you need to look like a Jew outwardly in order to be saved? In order to be part of the people of God, do you have to become Jewish? And as we can see already, this is unsettled at this time. It wasn't like Paul could just get up and say, no, that's clearly not, the, that's clearly not true because of this verse and this verse and this idea. It's unsettled. It's such a big deal that they have to go to Jerusalem and bring it before the apostles and say, all right, we need a decision. What do you, what do you have to say about this? Do we have to be a Jew to be saved? Do we have to follow the law? Do we have to be circumcised? Do we have to do these things? to be saved, to be part of the people of God. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. 
So all of the, the key leaders, the key thinkers of the church in Jerusalem got together. Some of those are the 12 apostles. Some of those are other key leaders. And we're going to get two guys that are going to stand up and they're going to, to, to announce an answer to the question. The first guy that we get to stand up is Peter, the apostle. That's what he says in verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that, my, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. This is a reference to a passage we talked about months ago. Where at the early days of the church, they had only preached to Jews. But God sent uh, Peter a vision and told him to go proclaim the gospel to a guy named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and to his family. And when he preached the gospel to them, when Cornelius and his family, they placed their faith in Jesus, and they were saved, and God sent his Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and his family, and everybody rejoiced that the gospel was going forth, and that salvation had come to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And so Peter says, you remember that, that in the early days, God made a choice among you that my, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter says, when I proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles, when I proclaimed the gospel to Cornelius and his family, they placed their faith in Jesus, and God declared that they were saved. And I know that he declared they were saved because the Holy Spirit fell on them. They didn't follow Old Testament laws. They didn't become Jewish outwardly. They were saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, right there in that moment. And there was no distinction. They had the Holy Spirit as Gentile Christians. We had the Holy Spirit as Jewish Christians. There's no distinction between us. Each of us were saved by the grace of God. So why would we then make them become Jewish when we couldn't follow the Old Testament law? And our ancestors couldn't follow the Old Testament law. None of us could earn salvation by the way that we lived, by the way that we acted by our outward markings and our outward signs, none of us earned salvation. So why would we then give those laws and give those customs to the Gentiles as if they're going to earn salvation by them too? Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Peter says, us Jewish Christians are not saved by the law. We Jewish Christians are not saved because we're circumcised. We are not saved because we, have, uh, we are part of the people of God uh, from, from antiquity. It is uh, we as Jewish Christians are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ in the exact same way that the Gentile Christians are. So Peter stands up and makes that argument in verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So, so after Peter sits down, Paul and Barnabas get up and they're like, yeah, what he's saying is true. Look at all the things that God is doing among the Gentiles. Look at how, how we see the Holy Spirit active in the Christians, uh, the Gentile Christians that we've seen. Look at how we see God moving in the lives of the Gentiles. It's clear that they're saved, that God is, is seeking to save them just by the grace of Jesus. 
that none of them have to become Jewish, none of them have to follow the laws and check off all the boxes in order to earn the favor of God. They are saved only by the grace of Jesus. Verse 13, we get the second guy who stands up, and it's James. Jesus' brother, now one of the most influential leaders in Jerusalem, one of the most influential leaders in the church. And this is what he says in verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, now that's uh, just a different rendering of Simon, which is Peter's name. So, so Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known of old. So so James stands up and he says, Peter has already told you that God has reached out among the Gentiles and called people for himself. You see that in the family of Cornelius, that, that he called the family of Cornelius as his people. Even though they didn't look Jewish, even though they didn't follow the law, even, they, even though they didn't become Jewish, God reached out among the Gentiles and called a people for himself. And you can see that again and again and again in the work of Paul and Barnabas, that as they proclaimed the gospel, the grace of God went forth among the Gentiles and God was calling people for himself from among the Gentiles. And this is, this is answering directly the, the, the idea that the Jews are the people of God. Right, the argument from the Jews would have been, one, you have to follow the law to be saved, and two, you have to be part of the people of God, and we as Jews are the people of God. So you have to become like us. Peter stood up and answered the first one and said, it's not by your works that you're saved, it's only by the grace of God that any of us are saved. And James gets up, And he answers the second one by saying, yes, we Jews who place our faith in Jesus are part of the people of God. But the Gentiles also who place their faith in Jesus are part of the people of God. Just as as the prophet Amos said that he would, the Lord uh, would, uh, the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord in all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who makes these things known of old. that The prophet Amos, centuries before, had prophesied that God would call people for himself from among the Gentiles and bring them into his people and call call them his people. This is what he says in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. It says, because they are also the people of God as Gentiles, not following the law, not outwardly Jewish, they are still part of the people of God. So because of that, we don't need to trouble them. We don't need to bother them and add a yoke, as Peter said, add a burden to them that we couldn't bear and that our fathers couldn't bear. We, We don't need to add to them the law or demand that they look outwardly like a Jew because God has saved them as Gentiles. He goes on in verse 20. We should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual morality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now this sounds like a contradiction here in these last two verses. James stands up and he says, we don't need to add any law to the Gentiles. He says, except for these things. We should probably tell them to obey these things. It sounds like a contradiction, but if you, if you read that second verse, what you'll recognize there in verse 21, that's the reason that he's recommending these uh, rules and these regulations. 
It's not because if they follow these things, they'll earn the favor of God, or if they follow these things, they'll be more saved. It's because there are Jews that live in their cities. And they're going to be offensive as Christians and offensive as Jews to the city, uh, uh, to the Jews in their city, if they don't abstain from things sacrificed to idols and things uh, and eating things with the blood. So James' intent here is not, I'm going to take away your freedom. James' intent here is, be wise in how you use your freedom. Because if you use it incorrectly, if you abuse the freedom that you have in Jesus, by, if you abuse the fact that you're not under the law anymore, then you're going to be offensive to all of these people who could place their faith in Jesus. You're going to be offensive and cause an unnecessary stumbling block to all of these Jews who currently follow the law. So he's saying, you have freedom but we're going to write you to, to avoid these things as wisdom, making sure that you don't abuse your freedom. They, get, they then uh, compose a letter, basically uh, just saying what, they, what they've decided. They send it off to the Gentiles. Look with me in verse 30. Uh, they send Paul and Barnabas. They send uh, Judas and Silas as well, two other guys from Jerusalem. Verse 30. When they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So they go up and they deliver the letter. They deliver the ruling of the Jerusalem council to the people in Antioch, to the Gentile Christians. And the Gentile Christians rejoice. Probably partly because they didn't have to get circumcised, but partly because, praise the Lord, that we are saved by the grace of God. Like, it is an affirmation from the Jerusalem Council, you guys are saved. You guys have experienced the grace of God, and there's nothing you need to do to earn it anymore. The grace of God has been poured out upon you. It's a brilliant, incredible affirmation, and they're rejoicing at the glorious good news that they've experienced the gospel, that God's grace has been poured out on them, that they are the people of God now. Verse 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, many others also. So Paul and Barnabas continue their ministry of proclaiming the good news to the Gentiles. Because salvation is available to them too without forcing them to become Jews. Now, if you're hearing this passage, you're reading uh, Acts chapter 15, some of you may be thinking, this seems like an old theological debate that has nothing to do with me. Because it's, you know, it's about Jews and Gentiles. It's not really something that's super relevant to me anymore. Uh, so it's just an old theological debate. But but the reality is that Acts chapter 15 is one of the most important New Testament texts for us. Because the message that Peter proclaims, and the message that James proclaims, and the message that the letter that they wrote to Antioch proclaims is the message that you are saved by grace through faith alone. And that there is nothing that you can do to earn the favor of God, and there's nothing you have to do to make God love you or to earn salvation. It's this glorious good news that I hope you do not miss this morning. That if your, uh, if your works cannot save you, then they cannot make God love you any more or any less. So live in the freedom of God's grace. 
If your works cannot save you, just like, like Peter and James, just like they know, like they said, there's, none of us could earn the favor or the righteousness of God. None of us could work our way to heaven. None of us could earn salvation by doing enough good works because we all fall short. So if your works can't save you, and it's only by the grace of God that you're saved, it's only by faith in Jesus that you're saved, then your works are not going to make God love you anymore or love you any less. Because it's only by the grace of God that you're saved. It is only because of Jesus that the love of God has been poured out upon you. It is only because of Jesus that you have the favor of God. You're not going to change God's mind by doing good things or doing bad things. Some of you here this morning have been working so hard to try to earn the favor of God. You are trying to make sure that you are on good, God's good side. That, hoping that, that he'll bless you and do good things for you. When I was a, a pitcher in high school, I would make sure that on days that I might be pitching, I was extra good. Right? Because maybe if I, if I was extra good that day, if I, if I avoided sin, if I, if I told someone about Jesus, then maybe when I'm pitching, things will go really well. Or if I sin, if I do something bad, if I'm not on God's good side, then, then I'm going to get up there and I'm going to get rocked. <laughs> right? Some of you are trying so hard to earn the favor of God by being a good person, by checking off all of these boxes of morality, by, by being a religious person and coming to church, by reading your Bible every day, by, by lifting up all of these prayers, and you are trying so desperately to earn the favor of God. Can I tell you, give you hope and encouragement that it is only by Jesus that you have the favor of God. You can't earn it. So stop trying to earn it. It is freely given to you by the grace of God. In the same way, some of you are so just stuck with guilt from past mistakes and past sins. You think there's, there is no way that God can love you. You think that God is sitting up there and, and you know that he loves you. John, you know John 3.16. You know, you know that he forgives you, but you think he's sitting there still a little disappointed in you. You know, that you would sin, and maybe you would sin in the same way so many times, and, and you're, you, you bring up your prayer to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, and you say, God, I don't, I don't know how you can forgive me again, but, but, but you bring it before God, and you are, you are stuck and burdened with so much guilt because you think you are somehow losing the love of God, and that God's love for you and his favor on you are just slipping away. I tell you that it's only by the grace of God in Jesus that you have the favor of God. And nothing you do can change that. You couldn't earn it anyways. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have the favor of God. You are saved. You are loved by God. And nothing you do, good or bad, is going to change the way that God feels about you. Nothing you do is going to change the, the forgiveness that you have. Nothing that you do is going to change the salvation that has come upon you. Instead of trying to earn salvation, instead of being worried that you might, you might get on God's bad side if you do something bad, recognize that you have freedom in Jesus, that you have been set free from sin and death and received the grace of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. God loves you because of Jesus. 
when the Bible talks about this freedom that we have in Jesus in Romans chapter 6, it talks about it elsewhere, when it talks about the freedom, uh, Romans 6.1 answers a question that some of you may have right now. The question is, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Right? The idea is if we're just forgiven by God, if we just have the grace of God, then what does it matter what we do? We can just keep on sinning, and God's love is still on us. God's favor is still on us. God's salvation is still on us. And Paul says, may it never be. How are those who are dead to sin still live in it? If you have died to sin, if you've been set free from sin and death by Jesus, if his gospel has rescued you from slavery to sin, then why would we go back and keep living in the sin that we know only leads to death and destruction? Why would we go back and keep doing things that only produce pain and hurt and brokenness? We, we avoid sin and do things for the glory of God not because we want God to love us, not because we want to earn the favor of God or make sure we stay in his favor. We avoid sin because it's not what's best for us, and God has set us free from that. And we do things for the glory of God because that's what we were designed to do. That's what we were created for, and that's where we experience the greatest joy and the greatest life when we're living for the glory of God. This morning, some of you need to stop working. Stop trying to, and stop believing that you're going to earn the favor of God or lose the favor of God. Stop thinking that your works save you, that, that this really impressive Christian resume is going to make God impressed with you. It won't. God is not impressed by the good things that you do. God's not impressed by your church attendance record. He's not impressed by the amount of times you read your Bible in a week. He's not impressed by the amount of memory verses that you've read. He's not impressed by the number of prayers or, the, or how incredible sounding your prayers are. He's not impressed by any of that. The love and the favor of God are upon you because of Jesus. And Jesus alone. Some of you need to, to stop living with so much guilt. Stop living as if your past defines you. Stop living as if your past sins are still a burden dragging on you and draining your relationship with the Lord. It's not. You've been set free and forgiven. You have the fullness of the grace and the love of God upon you because of Jesus. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his grace and live for his glory because that's how he's designed you to live. Be free. Some of us think in a very similar way to these Jewish Christians. We may not think that we need to follow this law and this law, that we need to go back to, to dietary restrictions, we need to not eat bacon, and we may not think in those terms. But a lot of us have added to our Christianity, have added to our relationship with the Lord, these list of rules. And we think if we accomplish this list, if we check off these boxes, then God's going to love us more. This morning, what I hope that you see in, first, uh, in Acts chapter 15 is that that list is irrelevant. You have the favor of God because of Jesus. The end. 
So live in that freedom. Live as people who've been set free from sin and death by Jesus Christ. Live as people who've received the grace of God. Live as people who've been forgiven and redeemed. Some of you this morning have spent your entire lives trying to work to go to heaven. You spent your entire lives hoping that you could do enough good things or get on God's good side and he'll let you in the pearly gate. Some of you think that uh, on the flip side that you've done enough bad things that God can never forgive you, that God is, is never going to give you love, that God is never going to give you forgiveness, that you just, you just can't earn it. And, and let me tell you, you're right. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to dig yourself out of that hole. There's nothing that any of us could do to dig ourselves out of that hole that we've made. But there is forgiveness available to you by Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross and rose again three days later for your salvation. And he is currently sitting at the right hand of God, pleading on your behalf. And, he is, and God is calling out to you, saying, accept the forgiveness and the grace and the eternal life that is available to you. So this morning, some of you need to stop working. And stop trying to earn the salvation that can only be given to you by Jesus. In just a second, we're going to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to sing. And as we sing, if that's you this morning, and you've been trying to earn the salvation of God, you've been trying to get on God's good side, but you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, then this morning is the morning when you can experience freedom for the very first time. This morning is the morning where, like the Gentile Christians, you can rejoice in the grace of God. So as we sing, I'm going to be standing right here, I would love to pray with you, and then we have people who would love to talk with you a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the glorious good news of the grace that is available to us in Christ Jesus. I thank you that we have been forgiven and redeemed and set free from sin and death, that the gospel has gone forth, and you call us your people. You bring us into your family. We are adopted into your family. We are citizens of your eternal heavenly kingdom. God, thank you for the salvation that is available to each and every one of us. I pray, Father, that for the Christians here who, who are ridded with guilt, who are, who are filled and and stuck with so much guilt, Father, I pray this morning that you would rid them of their guilt. That you would bring to their mind the, the grace and the forgiveness that was won for them on the cross. Father, I pray that you would remind them of the, the love that you have for them and that it's unchanging. And that you pour it out fully on them every single moment of every single day. Father, I pray that you would liberate this church. Any Christians who are adding to-do lists and adding, adding legalistic ideas to their Christianity and thinking that they need to earn your salvation or they need to, they need to earn your favor on a day-to-day -day basis, God, I pray that you would rescue us from that thinking. And we would freely walk according to your grace. Well, I pray anybody here never experienced true salvation, who's never experienced the freedom that come from Jesus, I pray, Father, this morning will be the morning 
that they place their faith in you. Where they cast off an unbearable yoke of trying to earn your salvation and they take on the yoke of Jesus, a yoke that is easy, a burden that's light, forgiveness that is freely given. We love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.